Before we get started with today's podcast, we'd like to ask returning listeners to leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you really enjoy it, share a link to this podcast with friends or family who would enjoy hearing our weekly discussions about basketball and basketball culture. Now, on to the show. Yeah, isn't it amazing when Michigan can keep this game to a 19-foot, 9-inch game inside that three-point line, it's all there. Welcome to the 19.9 Podcast. I'm here with Joe Arecchio from the NBA. We're going to do a little check-in here at the beginning, talk a little bit about bubble life and what we think about all the happenings, if it's actually going to happen down there. And then we're going to do the first in our series of redrafts. We're going to start with the 1990 draft, which we both agree, I think uh, Joe will agree with this, not, not our favorite, but... I always love a redraft because it does give you insight on just the history of college basketball, uh, how the NBA ended up where where it ended up, how team you know charted the course of uh, different teams' luck. So the draft is always fascinating because it could, it has the opportunity to shape or misshape a, a franchise for years to come, depending on their decisions, and it ends up uh, being pretty random at times. So Joe, welcome. How are, how are things down or, or over there in New Jersey? Things are good, man. How's things out by you? They're good. I, I think we're ho- we're holding steady, uh, doing as be- as best we can. I think. Yeah, I mean it's been it's been better here. Things are uh, starting to open up a lot, so uh, it's definitely been better. And cases are down a lot still, it, so that's good. It seems like because you guys got hit first, you know, I, I actually was feeling initially like we lucked out because we didn't get it at first at all. And maybe we still will because it's not it's it's all relative, like we were saying before we jumped on. But you guys seem to have a more united uh, united front where people saw that that it actually got bad. Then you guys came together, got got it going in the right direction. I'm hoping that holds for you for you all out there and, and that you keep keep the numbers going in the right direction. Uh yeah, I think it's more I don't know. I I think it was more of just because of the amount of people here, the amount of people that got it so fast, like right out of the gate, it kind of forced everybody here to do that. Yeah. You know, cause I, I think if it, if it would have been like a slow burn for a while, I don't think everyone would have done it. But, uh, but I think now we're just seeing like, you know, other States are going to have the same problem we had for a couple of weeks and then it's going to die out there and it'll move to another state. And I think after a while it'll run through everybody's state and then, you know, things will get a little back to normal eventually overall. So let's hope it goes that way. Yeah, me too. So the the first official thing that's going to be on the air is starting tomorrow night, the arena, which you had the same reaction I did. I, we thought, I thought it was a, a preview of what things were going to look like in Orlando, but it is not. Uh, but it is going to be uh, episodes about uh, systemic racism, the pandemic, uh, the changing landscapes of society. So they're going to do like a five-day thing. So even though it's not basketball, it is basketball adjacent, and maybe they will give us a preview of the arenas at some point in that. Um, and it, and it, it should be all kind of a warm-up to start thinking about what, you know, and, and making it feel like it's actually going to happen because I was talking to you and asking like, okay, is this thing really going to happen? Because it all seems a little bit mysterious or just, you know, out in ether still. Uh, I think I think it's going to happen. Uh, I My thing was that if they got through this couple weeks before the season was supposed to start, then I think it was going to be a go. Um, I think if anything was going to happen, they were going to have a problem now. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that they really haven't, I haven't heard of anyone testing positive in the bubble yet. Um, but so I think it's going to happen, but as far as the NBA arena thing, I didn't even know that was that special was happening. Yeah. I guess that was like, is that an ESPN thing? Nope. TNT. So oh, TNT. 8, okay. 8, 8 PM on, on TNT. So Chuck, yeah, I think yeah. Chuck and the, didn't even know. Chuck and the gang. So, so yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I think it's, I think we're, we're, it's what July 19th now. So I know. It's, it's you know, we're what? How are we a week to we're like a week away, well, right? They, I think they start scrimmaging against each other next week. Yeah, that's crazy. So once, once that starts, if, as long as everything gets through next week, fine. I think we're going to be good. And hopefully baseball gets off to a good start and they don't have any problems. And then we can all kind of 
just get back to well, having some. Well, they already fun. had the <laughs> Toronto. They're not even allowed to play in uh, Canada, so I'd say that's somewhat of <laughs> a problem off the. I didn't see that. I think we're going either either Buffalo or Florida. Yeah, off the top, off the top, a bit of a problem, but yeah. I don't know. It seems like the NBA, you know, and I, even when I thought about it, like when players were scared, I get it because there's some, something uh, centering about being in your hometown or your home space. Uh, But man, the way they've got it set up down there just seems like no, there, there can't really be a safer place on earth. Like the way, the way they're doing it. Right. It's a good setup. Um, they're testing a lot. I know that. And, uh, no one, like I said, no one's tested positive so far and they've been down there now for, you know, what, a week and a half or so. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's the best, I think it's gonna. I think they're going to do the best of all the major sport leagues, to be honest with you. I, I think they're going to end up pulling this off better than everybody else. So I hope that's the case. Cause, uh, I'm interested to see what happens. Cause you can see that I just from seeing some of the footage I've seen, like players are, they're in shape, they're ready to go. And like, they're, they want to play. You can see it. So, I'm hoping this thing goes off without a hitch. Yeah, if it doesn't, I mean, if it doesn't work, not nothing's going to work, right? Because, no, I mean, they're they're work. testing, and they're not just testing the players; they're testing people involved Everybody. with the game. Everybody. You know, so it you every know. every crew member, every reporter, every. You know, the hotel staff's getting tested. I mean, they're testing everybody. So they said, if this doesn't work, then you can just forget about sports for a while. Yeah, you just, you just have to. If that's if that's the, like, I mean, we, we're talking about going back to school and certainly don't have anywhere near that. That I would, that's a, that would be a dream scenario for me at the, at this point. But also, you know, it's about how I can't imagine how much money it's costing to, to do uh, all that. I mean, I'm worried more about now about, you know, college basketball because they're already talking about what they're going to do with college football. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking college basketball is going to end up being the same thing where they're going to be like, well, you got to play your conference only, but yeah. these conferences are spread out. Now you still got to travel a lot. I, I know. I, the, I, big, I, the big East has got what's we got Seton hall in New Jersey and we got Marquette in Indiana. It's still pretty, you know, yeah, still I, pretty I, I told the guys the last time we were together that I just, I, I don't see how college sports happen is it's just a different, it's a different proposition too. Right. Where, they're, you know, the it's the university telling unpaid yeah. players to risk, you know, their health. I, that doesn't seem that doesn't the seem one to make thing, any the sense. The one thing I'll say though that I've that I've noticed of every of no, every pro athlete that has gotten this thing so far, I haven't heard of one of them that's ended up in the hospital. So I think that tells you something that if you're in really good physical condition, this thing probably won't hurt you that bad. You'll probably feel like you have a cold, you have the flu. You know, because a lot of these players are either asymptomatic, they don't even know they have it, or they like, oh, I felt like I had a cold and I found out I had coronavirus. And I think we're finding out like, the better shape you're in, the better off you're going to be if you get this thing. Yeah, so, that's, life. that's life in general. And I think that that's good, yeah. but I think that's just, you know, it's a, it's a risk proposition, right? Where you just, as a school, are, are you willing, you know, you can, as a, as a pro athlete, you can just have, you know, that you can pose the question to them and they can choose for themselves. Some players decided not to come for whatever, for various reasons. Uh, but yeah, as a, as a college athlete, it's just the proposition is a little bit, is a little bit different because you're going to feel yeah. a different pressure from your friends and from the, you know, teammates. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. I know. I mean, I think one thing they could do for one season, if they really wanted to, is say you know what let's not do the conferences let's do let's do things regional yeah so and it would make it make things interesting so then you know the new jersey new york connecticut pennsylvania teams would all play against each other so you get different different conference matchups you wouldn't normally get or out of conference matchups you wouldn't normally get because i think the more local you are that's why i like what baseball is doing because they're trying to keep it as local as possible right you know i think that's that's the best move the more you're traveling the farther you're traveling i think that's where you run a lot of risks yeah, I think the I think the other concern though is about the the different protocols too at different at different schools like Purdue here in Indiana is having every student on you know that's coming back to campus take a test beforehand. But are you know yeah. what's what's another school doing? Maybe they're not doing that. And what are they doing for their team? And you know, it's is their team allowed to intermix with the rest of the student population? Or you know, like you could create a bubble, but I just don't know you know what they're all doing and they, they're all operating on different islands that's kind of how the states are doing it right now and you can see that the, the success that to varying degrees of success no matter where they are a lot of people are trying different things from california to florida and i don't know i don't know what what I mean, exactly you talk about eligibility for the, for the athlete too yeah like, exactly know. like what would you do would you forfeit your, a year of eligibility or could that be like a medical red shirt 
yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a disaster. I mean, the one thing I could I could see them doing maybe is trying to push off the seasons as long as they can. Yeah. Um, which I mean, at this point, like the NBA season, you know, I've had to get delayed. Everything's gotten delayed. Everything's right? gotten so, delayed, right? So why not? So if they said, "Hey, college basketball is not going to start till at least 2021," I mean, yeah. Okay, at least it gives you four more months to hopefully, you know, whatever, a couple more months to figure things out. I'd take it even if they pushed it to you know the spring, spring and the, spring and yeah. the summer. Yeah, that'd be all right by me. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. But I'm kind of hoping we get at least some kind of season out of this. Well, before we get started with the NBA draft, that sound means it's time for our uh, sponsor reading. Azip Pizza is a build-your-own pizza place in Indiana and Kentucky. They have unique pizzas each month, like Alfredo. Alfredo sauce, penne pasta, chicken, more Alfredo, mozzarella, garlic breadstick, and they also have a ton of ingredients you can choose from to create something delicious on your own. Order online for curbside delivery at azippizza.com backslash order. They have some just delicious. They're they're like uh, the subway of uh, pizza places. So always uh, love being able to order <laughs> order from them, and, and uh, they're, they're fun to, to get a pizza pizza pie from. It's a uh, build your own. It is, yep. So All right. I love it. All right. I can get down with that. Delicious stuff. So uh, who's gonna who's gonna get? Let's decide who's gonna do the first pick. We're gonna do the 1990. NBA draft. Who's who? Who gets the first pick? It's up to you. It's your podcast, so <laughs> you all tell right, me. All right, I'm giving I'm giving it to you then, which is which is a big give in in this in this draft. Yeah. Uh, before before we do the the start with our picks, you want to review who the fir- the top. We're only going to go. What are we going to go? Thirteen or or fourteen here? Because I think that's we'll, far we'll enough. Go, we'll go. Until we can go until we say this is a terrible draft <laughs> okay. and we don't want to do it anymore. Fair, fair enough. All right, all right, all right. Give us the give us the top uh, fourteen at least right now. Of uh, what the teams and who they picked? Yeah, the teams and who they who they actually. So this is the actual order they went. Yeah. Okay, so it was one New Jersey took Derek Coleman, two Seattle took Gary Payton, three Denver took Chris Jackson, who became Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. Uh, four, Orlando, Dennis Scott. Five, Charlotte, Kendall Gill. Six, Minnesota took Felton Spencer. Seven, Sacramento, Lionel Simmons. Eight, the Clippers took Bo Kimball. Nine, Miami took Willie Burton. Ten, Atlanta took Ramil Robinson. Uh, Eleven, Golden State took Tyron Hill. Twelve, the Clippers took Alec Kessler. Thirteen, Houston took Loy Vaught. Fourteen, Sacramento took Travis Mays. And fifteen, Miami took Dave Jamerson. And we might have lost everyone. (laughs) 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 I tried not to fall. We've been watching uh, this this TV show uh, called "What We Do in the Shadows." It's like a goofy vampire. Oh, I've seen it. Have you seen it? Okay, so so there is a there's an energy vampire on there, and he'll just start rattling off a random facts about stuff and i feel like after we got past the top five there that's what was happening to me <laughs> well the good news is, is that there was a lot of other good players who got drafted way later i know draft. yes exactly so when we redraft we're gonna we're gonna do that we're gonna do this right and and it is it is consistently amazing like it does not matter what draft you pick right there is mm-hmm. uh you know everyone worries about getting you know at, to the top of the draft but Heck, it's half of it's about luck, don't you think? Yeah, and actually, this is funny when you look at this draft. I can honestly say this is one of the few drafts where the top two guys picked actually probably were the two best players out of this draft. Yeah, and that's and the but the gap between one and two is very big. And that happens. That happens sometimes. Like last year, I think you know, at least starting out, Ja and and Zion seem to be you know one two far far and away. Um, so we'll, yeah. we'll see. I mean, that definitely can, can happen. I think even, even drafts sometimes where it, things go wrong, like the Odin and Durant, I mean, those guys were in barring injury that that was the right, the right picks and they would have been really good. Oh yeah. I mean, and again, you know, the NBA, even back in 07 was still all about, if you can get a great big man, you yeah. take them. Yeah. The so, ones that are crazier, like the Giannis that just, you're like, what? No one knew about how do you, you know, it's just so such dumb well, luck. He also grew what six inches. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, how do you? You know, that type of stuff. How do you even? Uh, that's why I'm b- being a GM in in the draft is like, whew, man, I'd be. Hard, I'd be, I'd be you got to yeah, you got to sweat before, after, during. <laughs> it yeah. just never it never ends. Well, that's why I love. Uh, I actually love working. I love being at work on draft night. 
because I like to watch everyone overreact to certain oh things. Oh my gosh, I know. So, so, exci- so excited, right? Say to, I just say to guys uh, all the time, I say, guys, half these guys that you think are going to be good are going to be terrible, and half them you think are going to be terrible are going to be good. Half of so, them won't even be in the league in five half years. Half of them won't be in the league in five years. So <laughs> stop getting your hopes up. Stop getting too excited. Let's see how it plays out. Yeah, exactly. All right, man. So, well, you're on, you're on the you're on the clock with the first pick in the 1990 redraft. Well, that's this is easy because this draft only included one Hall of Fame player. So with the first pick, uh, New Jersey Nets, I'm taking Gary Payton from Oregon State, who was c- clear far and away the best player in this draft. Uh, nine-time All-Star, All-NBA First Team, Defensive Player of the Year, did win a title with Miami later in his career. Uh, and do we, count, do we count that? Do we count, who was it? Oh, they were talking about somebody suggested Vince Carter should come back for the for the Lakers and see if he can pick up a title. I don't know what you know. That's no, like, I'll, give, I'll give Gary Payton his because mm-hmm. he was uh, he was he was a, he was a good rotation. He guy was he team. was in that he was in the rotation on that team. It he tried to get the, one uh, with the Lakers that before that oh, too, yeah. right? It wasn't the um, it wasn't like the Mitch Richmond scenario where he got one with the Lakers, but he never. Oh yeah, never yeah. But uh, yeah, Gary Payton was far and away the best player in this draft. Started off first couple of years was was okay, but then I think it was like his third year he really took off. And I mean, you know, when you talk about Gary Payton, he's one of the best defensive players of all time. He's one of like I think three guards to ever win the Defensive Player of the Year award. Michael Jordan would disagree. He didn't worry about him at all. <laughs> well, obviously, yeah, he wasn't concerned at all. But I, I think it was I think it was him, Alvin Robertson, and Michael Jordan are the ones that have won it, or maybe. At, Maybe Moncrief won it also. I'm not. I'm well, sure how come it. guards don't don't get any love for for defensive player of the year? Because I mean, I it's not like that part that that part of basketball doesn't matter. I mean, I know it's it doesn't. I, mean, I think it's because there's no stat besides steals to really like quant. You know, and like in the in the box score. Sometimes. Yeah, you know, steals can be because I've I've seen Iverson lead league in steals. Right, you know, whatever. Someone's a great defensive player. I mean, you could say the same thing about blocks though. Sometimes too, like that. You know, who was it? It was probably Whiteside this year, and I, I wouldn't consider him a great defensive player yeah he's a great shot blocker exactly you can can be yeah but yeah Gary Payton for the Nets I mean what I mean who knows what that would have done but at the time though too when you think about the Nets I think they had Mookie Blaylock at the time still um and this is pre-Kenny Anderson um so I don't know you know if if that would even been something they would have considered and I mean obviously Coleman was way more high profile in college because a he played at Syracuse uh, and you know, more in the national spotlight. Gary Payton was playing at Oregon State, and I can't imagine back in you know eighty nine, ninety, anybody saw him play that much. Well, with Derek Coleman, I mean, I, I can't imagine anybody taking Derek Coleman, not not taking Derek Coleman first after the year he had, and just you know, like you said, all the notoriety. They would have been really out on a limb selecting a guard from Oregon State as the first pick. Yeah. With that, so. with that in mind, I've got the second pick in the draft, and I'm I'm uh, gonna really gonna really shock some uh, NBA heads if it was back in the day. I'm gonna take Tony Kukoc. Oh, with, all with right. My... I mean, argue with this. I <sighs> know. See, the thing is, I've been back and forth on him because I thought that at first I was like, why was he not more in the Last Dance? And then I watched a bunch of old Bulls games uh, at the beginning of all all this uh, pandemic stuff, and I was like, maybe he shouldn't have gotten as <laughs> been in the Last Dance as much because I thought he was better maybe than uh, he was. But I'm gonna say. You know, I don't know exactly how to treat this in my mind, but I always kind of treat it like they're coming into the modern NBA, you know, even though it's, it's we're going back in time to 1990. But I just think that uh, his game, maybe if he had come over right away, if you played it out a little bit differently, um, he, he could have had even more of an impact. And, you know, he just had... I don't know. He, it's it's tough because he was such a such a unique player in Europe, and then he comes onto those Bulls teams... And it's it's a just a strange situation, right? He's in there trying to figure it out with Pippen for those two years, and then all of a sudden Jordan's back. So maybe he, you know, in a in an alternate universe, uh, he gets he gets selected by a different team and ends up, um, you know, just being a, being able to be more of a star at first, or or use more of the you know play more of the point guard like Pippen did, because uh, he certainly was a skilled player for how big he was, and for that time, that was very very unique. I mean, he's definitely a guy that's more talented than his numbers may indicate. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he, he's definitely, like, if you look at his career numbers, like, ah, 12 points, four boards, three assists, he was sixth man of the year. Okay, he had a good career, but, like, you're right. I think if he came in today, he would have 
thrived in today's NBA, I think. Yeah, because he just, I mean, all the all of his faults get erased. And, and I think, too, even if it was back then, if he had come in on a team that just needed him to do more, because it seemed like he was willing to relegate himself, you know, like Chris Bosh or, you know, Kevin Love. Like, they're just guys that are really good, but they're willing to take a back seat. Some guys just aren't aren't willing to do that. It seemed like he was okay with that, you know, when he and that's just the role he ended up playing. Yeah, I I, mean, I agree. He yeah, he's he's one of those guys that like I said, like he's just a victim of a circumstance in some in some ways. You know, like he he couldn't have that same shine because of the team he played on. But if you look at just his talent alone, I mean, he was he was an outstanding player and he could shoot and he was he was big and he was long. Uh, so I, I really don't have any complaint with that second pick because, like you said, if you put him on a different scenario, he's probably the star of the team. Nice. I'm feeling good about that. All right, you're up then. Pick number three. All right. So this is going to be weird because this one, I think I'm going to stick with what actually happened. Uh, Denver takes uh, Chris Jackson oh, or wow. Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. All right. Because another guy that I think comes into today's NBA, he's probably better than he was even. Why Why did he not become uh, Steph Curry? Because it seemed like maybe he could have revolutionized basketball that back then. He was a super unique player. But very. He was in the dunk contest, wasn't he, at one point? He was in the dunk contest when he was still Chris Jackson, I believe he was in the dunk contest. Um, and, yeah, yeah, I don't know. He he super talented, yeah, and like could really shoot. But I guess the game wasn't hadn't caught up yet to what he was doing. I mean, this is a guy who was averaging, what, 30 points a game at LSU his first two years. I know. Shooting the lights out at LSU. It was unbelievable. Well, I, I um, remember still still to this day hearing a story about him because I, I think I was heard it when I was you know still playing. And uh, they said at the end of practice, like one of the things that he, he had kind of an OCD, something, some kind of uh, thing like that, he wouldn't leave the gym until he hit 25 threes in a row. And that to me as a, a kid row? in a row. Yeah. So, I know I did like blew blew my mind as a, as a young, I'm like, I don't know if this basketball thing is what I'm going to do. <laughs> Elder. Yeah. That, wow, 25 in a row. That's crazy. I know that was his thing. 25 in a row. I'm like, all right, oh that's, that's good. <laughs> yeah. And I never heard that story though. But yeah. He, I mean, he was unbelievable. I mean, and, like I said, he today he'd be if he had the stats he had at LSU today and coming in, he'd be a no-brainer top three pick, and a team would be looking to build around him, similar to the way the Nuggets were looking to build around him. And he still had a very good career. It was kind of short. It was like nine, ten years. It wasn't very long. Yeah. But he got he, he got in. I, I feel like you know I I don't know how much a role it played, but I mean that stuff does end up playing a role. But he had kind of. Uh, and an early, you know, social some social issues, issues maybe that yeah, led to locker that led to locker room stuff in a different time period. I'm sure it was tough for him to navigate. You know, he went from Chris Jackson, as you said, to to Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, and just had some national anthem stuff. And I think, you know, I'm sure in that time period, it's still difficult today. It must have been. Uh, a big hurdle for him to overcome and to navigate with his teammates or even within the organization. Yeah, it definitely hurt his career later on. I mean, I think it got him, you know, blackballed to some degree from the yeah. league. Um, but if you look at it, he had a couple years stretch there, especially at the beginning of his career. I want to say like 92, 93, 94, uh-huh. where it was really good, like really good and shooting high percentages did, from, you know. Did he ever make an all-star? He never made an all-star team. He Crazy. was most improved in 93, but that was it. He was most improved player, and that was the only thing he ever ever won, really. He never never all NBA, nothing. Yeah. But again, another guy whose whose talent was more than what he actually accomplished. I know. I like. Denver seemed like a per- – talk about perfect place. Man, that seemed like the perfect place for him to be to land at, too, like the high altitude they were running. Mm-hmm. And gun even back then i don't know yeah but I, that one i think i would stick with because i think that was the right move for them at the time All so right. you're up now with I'm my up. team with the fourth with the fourth pick i'm going i'm going uh back to the first pick i'm taking Derek coleman uh, okay. from syracuse and man i loved watching i mean he was one of the first players i remember seeing on tv consistently and lo- lefty i'm a lefty so mm-hmm. loved watching him play now i've got two lefties in this draft already so i'm, I'm pumped about uh Derek coleman he was uh yeah he was especially the first couple years he was really good in the nba and he didn't it's funny he didn't have a bad career uh, like numbers wise, especially he had some even good years, some good years with Charlotte and some good years of Philly. He was not a, it's not like he like started off hot and then flamed out. I mean, he, he started off, you know, all-star team one year and he was third team on NBA twice. And, you know, he was a good player, but he should have just, he just never took that next step. He never, 
it just never went any farther than that. And he was one of those guys that like his best years were his, you know, first couple years in the league. And then he was good, but he just never became spectacular. Like he should have been did he in college too he soon or did, or was he like a too much too soon generation kind of guy? Well, where- he was also a head case to some degree yeah. too, though. I mean, you remember, I don't remember the sports illustrated cover that he was on. I, I don't but, actually, I, 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 I okay. followed him in college and then kind of lost track was in New Jersey. Not one of the teams I used to follow back in the day. <laughs> they, and that's funny. Cause that team, you know, in the early nineties with him, Drazen and Kenny Anderson was a really exciting team. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. They were, I, I used to go to those games a lot when I was a kid and, uh, there was, they were very, even when they after, even after Drazen died, they were still a good team. That sounds like and, an awesome team to watch. Like just, it, you know, again, if you could plop them in uh, 2020, that sounds like they'd be fun as heck. Yeah. Here's the co- actually just pulled up the cover for the Derek Coleman cover. Cause it was says, uh, petulant prima donnas like New Jersey's Derek Coleman are bad news for the NBA. That was the cover of sports <laughs> Illustrated. Ouch. Holy cow. So his, his reputation didn't help. He, had, not, he had a bad dude. I think that hurt him going forward in the NBA. Do you think it was, do you think he would have benefit benefited then because he's on the East Coast or stays on the East Coast there with uh, the Nets? Would he have been better off if he had gotten selected by by Orlando or or ended up in yeah you know, maybe went Seattle somewhere else? Somebody. Yeah, I think that might have been part of the problem that he stayed local. You know, maybe all his friends were here. Like you know, who knows? It, it's so weird the circumstance of where you end up and who you're around. And I just think that it might've been a thing where like he would have been better off. If he went somewhere else. Well, you just think about like the, what they do for the guys. Now there's just so much more care put into these guys lives off the court. You know, mm-hmm. it, there's always been training and all that, that goes along with it. But now there was just, you know, I remember seeing the Stefan Marbury uh, documentary and him talking about like ending up in Minnesota and after the draft it was just like boom here I am in Minnesota and you know he's just living on his own in an apartment and I feel like the guys now to like uh, move their families with them more and you just need you have wherever you go when you're that young I, I feel like you still need a support system I mean, heck as an adult I've got a support system that I, I rely on. I can't believe, I can't imagine being like a, you know, 20, 21 year old millionaire living somewhere on my own. It just, it's a, re- it's a recipe for becoming a prima donna. You need someone to keep you grounded, right? Yeah. I think actually my favorite draft reaction of all time is still, uh, when Zach Levine got picked by Minnesota, the look, <laughs> the look on his face was just like, I had a Minnesota, not ever a Minnesota. Oh man. The, the Toronto ones back in the day. I feel like Toronto is much improved now. But back in the oh, day, okay. the people who would get, uh, you know, you get drafted. Steve Francis getting drafted. Oh, Lord. I think he was the last guy I remember that refused to play somewhere. Actually, oh, my Steve gosh. Francis. I think so, too. The other thing about Derek Coleman, before I let you go on to the next one, is I think he would be, you know, if we're, again, doing the kind of fast-forward version of this, he would be awesome today, too. He could be a, he could be a small ball center now, and he would be, oh, he would yeah. be great. Just so many different uh, skills. Um, I'm sure he could extend his range because he had a he sweet was, stroke. He was a better, he was a better athlete than he got credit for. For sure, oh, for sure, definitely underrated athlete because he looks kind of looks kind of a little round, but he's he. Well, was, I think later in his career he got a little heavier, but early on, especially, he was a really good. He had some athlete. bounce. Yep. Yeah. All right, you're up. All right, so Charlotte at five. So I'm kind of I'm kind of torn here because I I actually think Charlotte here made a great pick because I think Kendall Gill was a very good NBA player who was remarkably consistent on every team he was on. Yeah. You, you knew what you were getting from him. He played for my bowls back in the day. I, I, I he, liked, I liked for a lot of teams. Yeah. And I think yeah, he did. I'm kind of, kind of torn between him and Dennis Scott, but I th- honestly, I think again, I can't, I'm doing this. I think I'm going to stick with this one. I'm going to stick with Kendall Gill. Really? All right. Look at you, I mean, you go and chalk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Dennis, Dennis Scott was good. I, I mean, I'm an Orlando fan and, and he was a great three point shooter, but he, he didn't do much else. Like, he didn't create his own shot well. He wasn't getting anybody open. He wasn't, you know, Kendall Gill was a great defender. Led league in steals one year. Um, was, a, was a very consistent scorer. You were always going to get 12 to 15 points out of him every every night. He was a decent shooter. You know, he played hard. And he, like I said, he was good on Charlotte. He was good on Seattle. He was good for the Nets. You know, he was he was good everywhere he went. I mean, and like, yeah, could I could I say I could pick a guy that made an all-star team like late who was later in the draft? Yeah, but I think Kendall Gill's one of those guys But like, he didn't really, you know, he didn't make an all-star team, but like he just had a really good career. He's really solid. Yeah, it's funny. I was I was thinking about him when I was looking up some of this stuff. Like he was uh Jeff Green because I I I had prototype 
like that that Kendall Gill is like the prototype two guard, athletic, got a nice stroke, uh, you know, plays plays defense, and he but he was way more consistent than to me than Jeff Green. Like he just he even though he never got oh, to those yeah, yeah. high peaks, he was able to sustain a really a really good level for a long time, and that that's a, I think that's a special skill. You know, you don't <laughs> that shows something about this draft that you're you're sticking with him with the fifth pick. But you know, may, maybe again in in a different scenario, maybe he. I mean, probably his shooting stroke. You think is what held him back from getting to. Yeah, he wasn't a, wasn't a great shooter, but he was good enough. And I mean, like I said, I mean, this guy was a a contributor, starter, good player. Yeah, how many years? Playoff Charlotte. He had to play for a bunch of years. You know, playoff Nets team. Yeah, he played. He played fifteen, sixteen oh, yeah. years, something like that. He played, I mean, he played a long time. That's a good. That's a good. Good career. That's a, you can't. You can't scoff at that. No, definitely not. I mean, now it's where it gets interesting because I feel like the top five, <laughs> top five or six players in this draft are pretty apparent, and then now it gets interesting. Now you're going to start seeing a lot of guys who were in the second round who were yeah. surprises. Because there's not much, uh, not much left at the top of this draft that was correct. Well, I, I'm gonna, I'm going with uh, a, a little bit. Uh, I don't know if it's on your where he's at on your board, but uh, oh, wait, Minnesota's are picking now, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm going with uh, a. A dunk champion, Cedric Sabalos. I love, I loved, wa- I've loved watching him play. Um, he's again one of those guys that would probably be better off today because I think it maybe a shooting again held held him back. But maybe he could have played, you know, a small ball five even or just run, you know, kind of rim runner or something like that. But he was a super athletic and just kind of a seemed like a happy guy. He was on those those Phoenix teams and always seemed like a happy guy out there and just having fun. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. He- when I watched like highlights of him, it's like Sean Marion, but not as athletic, maybe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah or not Sean as Man- not as bouncy. Like he could get, get maybe yeah. hit the same height, but not as like springy with it. But he had a year. I mean, he made the All Star team in '95 when he was in the Lakers, and he averaged like twenty-one, seven, and three that year. He had a good year. Well, yeah, I mean, what year was that? Because that didn't. That was '95. That, that was the um, okay. It was like the Lakers was like Nick Van Exel, Eddie Jones. I was going to say, did that cross over with Shaq, or or was he not there yet? No, he was gone by the time uh, Shaq got there. He was, okay. he was uh, I think he ended up on Dallas afterwards. His best years were Phoenix and, and with the Lakers. Those were his yeah. best years. That was kind of a fun, sneaky, fun team, though. With Oh, yeah. That, that was really that, XL that, teams. That weird um, between Magic, Johnson, and between Shaq, those was like five years in between. That actually was kind of a fun team. Like, yeah, Nick Van Exel and Eddie Jones and Vladdy Divock and Eldon Campbell. Oh, yeah. Ooh. It was, it, was a, it was an interesting team. Was AC Green still there? He was always he was always uh, getting, uh, getting Sidel, Sidel, uh Sidel Three. Is that how you say his name? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, like random guys like that. But they were kind of like a fun team to watch back then. Yeah, a little, little upstartness to them. I mean, he was a he was a no name. He came out of Cal State Fullerton. He was what forty seventh overall in the draft. Is that what he was? Overall. Yeah. See, so that's way that's way back there in the draft. That's almost almost last man on the board. Yep. All right, you're All right, up. So I'm up here now. Yep, seven. All right, so seven picks Sacramento. I'm going with Dennis Scott. All right, uh, again, oh, man, another, that, another that player kill, who... that kills me at this point <laughs> in the draft because I was like, he's the last one that I really wanted to pick. <laughs> uh, great college player, uh, really fun Georgia Tech team with him and Kenny Anderson and those guys. Um, uh, but again, another guy who like it's funny his his skill set would translate great today, but it all, it did translate back then. He really was more of just a spot up shooter, but. Considering the team he was on and the guys that everyone had to worry about with Penny Hardaway and Shaq, it made his life so easy. Yeah, and he, had he, a, was, he was man. He was a shooter knockdown, knockdown shooter. Uh, he could yeah. he could really fill it up. And I mean, I, it, what's crazy? I I wondered. Uh, we should look up how many threes a game he took because it probably you know th- that's the thing that always blows me away is like you think of these guys as three point shooters and they took like three a game. <laughs> yeah, know? and he'd that, be bombing. He'd have yeah. like he'd be like uh, who is the guy for. Uh, Washington this year, who he was shooting like ten a game. Uh, so oh, Ber- uh, Bertans, Tom? yeah, yeah. He's, he's he's chucking up like ten threes a game, you know. And you're like, oh man, Dennis Scott would have loved playing in in uh, today's NBA because he would have been just bombing away <laughs> for sure. Yeah, it's funny. Actually, actually, it's funny to say that. I wonder like what the most threes Dennis Scott ever made in a season was. Yeah, I bet. You know, I bet it. Those those stats always blow me away because I'm just like not not many uh, because it just it just wasn't part of the game. Like you, the 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 amount of, the volume of threes is is what oh, has changed. Actually, so I tell you what. There was, hold on. I'm, I just looked it up real quick. I okay, was surprised that by this number. So he he had one season 
in 95, 96. And if you remember, that was Orlando was great that year and ended up losing to the Bulls. He made 267 threes that year. Man, that's, that is good. That is, that is a bunch he, for them. He took, uh, wow, he's 267 for 628 and he shot 43% from three almost. That's awesome. That's a, that's a great year. Yeah. That's a really good year. But, so again, that, again, he should have been chucking that, that, chucking that though, for years and years. The most he ever made before that or after that ever was 155 in a season. Wow. So I wonder why, that was like, I wonder what they had somebody hurt that year or why he took so many more that year. That was the year that um, Shaq was hurt the first like twenty games. Of the okay, season. so then so he probably he got like, featured more. more yeah. yeah, but yeah, that's surprising. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have guessed that that he hit that many threes back in the mid nineties. Yeah, pretty pretty amazing. Whew. All right, where are we All at? Right. Where are we at here? Are we at eight with the Clippers, who have two lottery picks in this scenario. I'm sorry, not, well, actually, technically, wouldn't be lottery back then. Yeah, but had two top, two top twelve two top twelve picks and whiffed horribly on <laughs> both of them. I don't. In their defense, I don't know that there's a there's a lot that they that they could, that they could have could have got at this point. Uh, well, they could have got somebody that contributed more, right? Yeah. How did why did Bo Kimball not not succeed in the NBA? Because uh, I do remember him. Obviously, he played with Hank Gathers on that Loyola Marymount mm-hmm. team, um, and he seemed like a guy that that would have been good in the NBA. They averaged what 120 points a game or something in college. Yeah, that, that I mean, team. he and he filled it up. Like he he seemed like he could have. Just a do-it-all guy that that uh, you know could have could have really done something. Correctly, he wasn't he wasn't like that big of a two guard. Like he was a little small for the two guard, if I if I remember correctly. And I think maybe that may have hurt him because the NBA I think was a little obviously was different back then. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. He's a guy. He only played two years in the NBA. I know, that was that it. crazy. He was gone like quick. Yeah, would not would not. And so I wonder if he you know again replayed his. Maybe that's going to the Clippers and you know staying in LA. That didn't. That was kind of the opposite, of, or the same mm-hmm. thing as with D- Derek Coleman. Maybe he would have benefited from being on a different team. And remember how bad the Clippers oh, were back then. Man, that was. Yeah. This was not the uh, <laughs> Lob is, City. Uh, this, yeah, this is this is not the uh, current current iteration of the Clippers that are uh, yeah. are looking dangerous out there. All so right. who, who taking I'm here? taking uh, uh, a former Pacer who I I loved one of the da- one of the two Davises. I'm taking Antonio Davis here. Give me give me, some, one, yeah. give me some brute force. I'm ready. I've I've picked up some uh, some skill players. I'm ready for a brute force guy. So this uh, this is a guy who actually is the opposite of a Derek Coleman and uh, all those guys. Like he got better as the years went on. He uh, he went overseas. I think initially. Uh, I think he played two years overseas when he got drafted, and he didn't come over until '92 or '93. And, uh, you know, was a good role player for the Pacers, but he really started to come into his own with the Raptors later in his career. And he made an all-star team. Actually, he actually started the 2001 all-star game. Really? He was a starting center. I did not know that. that. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's on the David Robinson, him and Dale Davis are on the David Robinson all uh, jacked team too. <laughs> oh yeah. He also, he was up. also a super nice guy. I remember he mentored Al Harrington coming out of high school. I think Al Harrington might've lived yep. in his house, uh, for yep. for a year, at, at, so that's you know that goes into what I was saying earlier. Is like the NBA had figured out like, hey, if a guy's coming in young, you gotta you gotta get him. You know, someone's gotta take him under their wing and and uh, make sure they're they're uh, flying straight. Another guy who kind of like Kendall Gill was just remarkably consistent. Yeah. You knew you're gonna you get a double double pretty much. He'll get you ten and 11, 11 and ten every night basically. Yeah, never never worried about him. He's always doing the right thing. Yep. All right, yeah. who's going? Who's going to Miami? So Miami originally took Willie Burton, who I remember Minnesota was a great college player and really didn't do much in the NBA. Yeah, yeah he he was. Uh, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a guy who had a shorter run, but had a couple years where he was really good, and that was Jason Williams. Not not white chocolate Jason Williams, <laughs> the other Jason Williams. I wish. <laughs> yeah, uh, who went to St. John's and and I think went 21st overall that in that draft, but. Uh, I thought he had led the league in rebounding one year. He was leading the league in rebounding, but he didn't finish that season leading the rebound. But he made the all-star team in 98 uh, for the Nets, who were – I remember that year, that was um, a couple years after the Nets made like a big trade where they kind of like broke everything up. And they people were like, oh, the Nets are going to be terrible for years to come. But the trades they made, they ended up having like – it was. I think the team was like Sam Cassell, Kendall Gill, Kerry Kittles, Keith Van Horn, and Jason Williams. And they ended up being the eighth seed that year in 98, which we saw in the last dance. And actually played, you know, even though they they got they got swept three games to none, they played the Bulls pretty competitively in that series. Yeah, they seemed he, kind of like an upstart in you know the way they they showed them, and I I do kind of remember them somehow, like that like they were like oh maybe they'll be good in a couple of years. 
but remember he so he kind of started coming on and made the all-star team and then i think it was the next year he broke his leg real bad Uh, and that like just ruined his career he was pretty much done after that yeah and then and the nets started what i like to call this this uh the string of net centers that was after jason Wayne. you look at the string of net centers it is some of the worst names (laughs) you've ever seen in basketball I'm talking Jim McElvain. Oh, I'm talking man. Jamie Fike. I'm talking Todd McCullough, Jason Collins. I mean, they went the next like seven, eight years with just awful centers oh after gosh. that. We could find we could find them some uh, from from this draft, perhaps. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we've got we've got some available still. <laughs> so you're up now with what Atlanta at ten? Yeah, Atlanta. I I'm going with a, a speedy little guard. Uh, uh, that who maybe I'm I'm continuing my uh, trend of dunk champion. Uh, I'm taking D Brown. I like D Brown. He was he another guy. He doesn't get. He was better than he gets credit for. I feel like. Yeah, another guy who I think. See, I I think too in the, in the era now of, of positionless basketball, some of these guys would have been better off because a guy like D Brown, who is a natural scoring guard, I, I would almost guarantee that back in the day, people were like, "Can he become a point guard? How do you? How does he run the point? Run the point? And it's just like he's not a point guard. Like it's fine. Put you know, put him out there as a as a you know, let him score, let him do his thing, like Iverson or or now like uh, you yep. know Dame Lillard or whoever does it now. Like that's they're just a they're just a guard, you know, and it just he having to define that role and be a distributor. Some guys just don't have that skill set, and that's okay. They didn't get it back then, though. I mean, he was he was small and skinny. He was yeah. very skinny. Um, but yeah, you're right. He was more of like a, he was a two guard and a point guard's body. And that back then, that was like a, that was a kiss of death back then. Done. Yeah. Anybody that was. Yeah. I mean, that was a t- that's a term you never hear that really hear that term anymore. Tweener. I mean, th- that was like that was like yeah, a real thing. I know that was like a hu- like a huge concern. If you were like a six, you know, heck Zion, people would have been like, hell, I don't know. He's a he's a bit of a he's a bit of a tweener. He's you know he's only six uh-huh. only six seven. So uh, yeah, it just doesn't matter anymore now. Yeah, doesn't, people just don't think that way. They're like, well, can he play? Well, it's funny they still bring it up. I still hear that the arguments brought up when the draft. It always leading up to the draft. Or people are talking. Well, this guy's he's only six seven. It's like it doesn't matter anymore, man. We've seen it now, like. I've seen Draymond Green play center at six seven and be fine. Like can anyone it does size doesn't really matter anymore. Right. And I think it's too, it's just the it's just the measurements. I forget the other day someone was saying too who it was they were attributing they attributed to some coach that said you should measure guys to their shoulders not to their oh it was jackie mcmullen on uh on one of the podcasts said it that, that you should measure them to their shoulders not to their head because the, the you know from your shoulder to your the top of your head doesn't really matter that it's just how tall you are to your shoulders and then how long your mm-hmm. arms are and I was yep. like, man, that does, you know, we get, we get and I guarantee teams look look at that, but you know, it's just not what gets reported, but really that's what matters. Cause you think about Durant again, he's only six, nine, whatever that means, but I bet to his shoulders and with his wing, you know, how long his arms are, he's bigger than a lot of seven footers have been in the oh, NBA. Yeah. He looks bigger when you see him standing next to certain guys too. Like he looks bigger than DeMarcus Cousins when I've seen them standing next to each other. Yeah. And that might just be like, because their shoulders are the same height and then he's just got a short neck yeah. or whatever, you know, and he's, way, he's way longer than exactly. DeMarcus exactly. Cousins would be. Exactly. So at 11 here, first of all, can I just make one comment on Atlanta taking uh, the biggest villain in Seton Hall history, Ramil Robinson? <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Very happy, very happy to see his career didn't pan out the way we you know. <laughs> oh, man. He had a, mo- he had a moment, though. That's, he, he's a college, college history, in the annals of college history. He'll always be remembered. Hey, he got his moment. He did. <laughs> uh, so at 11, I'm taking, again, I hate to do this, but this is the right pick because he's the last guy that made an all-star team in this draft, and that's Tyrone Hill from Xavier. Oh, my who, gosh. You know, I, I, it's funny. You look back, he made the 95 all-star team. How did he East. make an all-star team? <laughs> I mean, he had a good year. I want to say he averaged like 14 and 10 that year for the Cavs, and the Cavs were a sneaky. They were like a good Eastern Conference team in the 90s, but they were always like a second-round exit. They were kind of like how the Hawks are nowadays. Or actually, have the Hawks have been for 30 years almost yeah. in a lot of ways. But that's a Jamal. You know, they're always a Jamal always around. All-Star uh, appearance right there. <laughs> you're like, it's one of those. Yeah. One of the guys we found, he was an All-Star. Like, eh, okay, yeah, whatever. Really? Uh, but it's funny. I mean, Xavier has a very good history of producing pretty good NBA big men, though. Like between him, David West, obviously. Um, even guys, even guys who had lesser careers, but you know, Derek Strong, who's in this draft, also was from Xavier. Like they've produced some decent big guys. They don't produce many guards, but uh, they've produced some some decent big guys over there. Brian Grant was from Xavier. 
Um, you know, guys who've had good NBA careers. And Tyron Hill was a solid, again, another solid. He'll give you 9 and 8. He'll give you 10 and 10 every night. But he's just never going to be your star player. And now it gets really interesting. Ooh, boy, we've got a little Dave Jamerson that we could still, he's still out there. Anybody? anybody? Uh, now I'm going with uh, another big guy. Uh, I'm, I'm sticking on the big guy trend, figuring, hoping that uh, I can, I can make him more of a, teach him to shoot and become more of a stretch big guy. I'm going with Eldon Campbell. So he, he was, he was thick. I mean, just a thick dude. I remember seeing him play and be like, man, that guy. He just, uh, you know, had an NBA, you know, they'd say now had an NBA body. He was, he was ready yep. to go. Yeah. And he, uh, another guy who started off his career on those Laker teams that were very good. He actually got, you know, magic was still there when he, when he first got there. And then after magic retired and worthy was hired, he got more of a role and he was a starter. And then he actually, I think his best years actually were in Charlotte. He was a starting center for Charlotte for a couple of years in the late nineties when it was like him, Anthony Mason, uh, Glenn Rice. And, uh, he, he had pretty good years with, with Charlotte at the end there. So He's another guy that kind of got better as as the opportunities got better. He kind of you know rose to the opportunity. I feel like. Yeah, I I liked so, him. He he could be. I guarantee he could have been a rim runner. You know, the in the, in this day and age, uh, just oh, play, yeah. it seemed like he always played hard too. Which is, you know under again one of those things that I uh, underrated for a long time when in thinking about the draft, and I just think about it so much more now because it's just so important. Like, does the guy play hard every every time he shows exactly. up, and that that matters so much. So I guess I'm up with Houston now. You, you're the second to last pick here with the with Houston. Who you, who you got? I got I got mine already picked out. I'm going with I'm going with the with the Homer pick here. <laughs> no. Okay, I'm going with uh, Terry Mills. All right. Who I think another guy six ten who could shoot. Yeah. So in today's NBA, he's a little slow. He was kind of a little heavy, especially <laughs> in the years in his career. But, but think about think about if you were doing the draft and you were saying saying this about him. Yeah, so yeah guy, he's a little heavy, yeah. a little slow, but uh, yep, we got him in the lottery. But, but you know, he actually, I remember him on the I think it was the mid to late nineties Pistons. Well, the Grand Hill teams, he was on those teams, and he was he was a knockdown shooter from outside. I mean, again, he didn't do much else. He was an okay rebounder for a size, but especially in today's NBA, six ten, you could shoot. There's probably going to be a place for you in the league. So probably, probably a guy that would have had a place in the league even nowadays. He could he he could have figured it out. I'm I'm sure. Just if you're picking in the if you're picking in the lottery, you don't you don't hope that that's the description for your guy uh, come, exactly. walking across that's the stage. The strat for the first six or seven guys. <laughs> here, you're like, I don't want that. Hundred percent, hundred percent correct. Which is why, with the fourteenth and final pick, we're gonna mer- mercy this one at fourteen. I'm going, I'm going with Judd Bushler. Oh. <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah. I, I know he he made some contributions for uh, the Bulls on those championship teams and uh, sneaky athlete. I think he was one of those, probably one of those, uh, one of those uh, volleyball guys back mm-hmm. in the day, but. Uh, he could shoot a little bit too, so I'd take I'd take him at this point. I think that he would, if nothing else, he's going to captain my uh, towel waving squad on the bench. I, I mean, I agree. And now, if you look back at these, out of these top fourteen picks, we got one, two, three, four, five, six of eight of the fourteen picks we didn't take of the top of the original top fourteen picks. And I guarantee, as we go forward, we sh- you should keep track of that because I think that as we, I, I just about guarantee as we go forward that'll happen too because it's just it it is the randomness of you know the the draft. I mean, Scott Williams, a guy who played for the the Bulls, went un- undrafted, and usually there's more. I, I looked at this draft; there weren't a lot of undrafted guys that that made an impact in the league, but usually there are quite a few that don't even get drafted that end up playing. Well, actually it's funny that you said that. Cause when I was looking at these drafts, like, yeah, the early on, like these drafts, like there really weren't, but I think that's also now we're seeing it more nowadays. Cause the, the amount of guys that declare for the draft now is insane. I mean, you got like over 150, 160 guys that declare between international and underclassmen now. And then a lot of go undrafted and then they find their way into the league eventually. And you're like, Oh, that guy was undrafted. I didn't, you know, I didn't realize back then it was like most guys stayed till they were a junior or unless you were like a real special, like a Kenny Anderson or somebody like that. Like most guys stayed at least till their junior year. I feel like. Yeah. That definitely weeds some people out too. And gives, gives you more time to evaluate them. And so maybe that's, you know, part of it in this, this was kind of one of those drafts where most guys, if you look at their, if you're looking at their year in college, you see a lot of seniors and, and uh, seniors and juniors. Yeah. 
Yeah, crazy, just, right? Derek Coleman, what are the chances he would have stayed four years? In, mm-hmm. in and then even, and even the guys that flipped out, you know, like Bo Kimball was an All-American. You know, right. some of these guys, Lloyd Vaught was a big college player. Like Felton Spencer was a big college player. Lionel Simmons and all these guys were like All-American type players or at least all-conference first team, and they all just did nothing in the NBA essentially. Well, man, I, I appreciate it. And uh, next time we talk, we're going to have actual NBA basketball to talk about, which will be pretty pretty awesome. We'll keep going with the the, the 91 draft next. But uh, we're going to be able to talk NBA, man. Are, are you excited for, for it to come back? I am. It's actually – I am excited. It's weird because this is going to be – think we're going to have all four major sports in this country happening at the same time at some point probably. I know. That's crazy. I don't know if that's – I wonder if that's ever happened. I don't think I don't think it's ever. I mean, I don't think it's any way it ever could have happened before. So this is going to be interesting. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it so much. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening to the 19.9 podcast with HVS, the high volume shooter. For more information, check out the blog at 19.9.com under HVS. And while you're there, do yourself a favor and pick up some retro college shorts. Until next time.